Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter number 13, once again, Acts chapter 13. We've been taking time in our Sunday morning services this month to revisit and emphasize the importance of missions as a ministry of our church here at Philadelphia Baptist Church. A couple Sundays ago, we, we had the Dollhouse and family with us. They're missionaries on deputation to North Africa and was really blessed by their, their time with us. Appreciated them. And then last week, uh, we began talking about the church's role in missions. And last week, we discussed how that it was the church's responsibility to supply the missionaries. Missionaries do not grow on trees. They have to come from somewhere. And it's God's plan and the pattern of the New Testament that it's through the ministry of the local church that people are saved, discipled, and they're equipped to go wherever God want, would want them to go uh, in order to share the gospel with others. Uh, for every Christian, that means sharing the gospel where you are. Uh, but for some Christians, it means going somewhere else. And that's what missionaries do. They leave their homes. They leave their uh, comfort zone. Many times they go to foreign lands. Sometimes we have missionaries inside our country, go to different places to plant churches. But uh, many play times going places that are unfamiliar and uh, to share the gospel with people uh, who've never heard, to plant churches that the work of the Lord may be uh, continued uh, all over the world. And thus the Great Commission is fulfilled uh, through the local church, not only right here, but literally all over the globe. Today we're going to be looking at the second role of the church in missions in our study, and, and it's this, it is the church's role to send the missionaries. Now, I'm distinguishing between supplying and sending uh, because it's one thing to raise up and equip disciples to preach the gospel right where you are, but if they're going to be missionaries who go somewhere else, then the church has to be willing to let go of them. And that sometimes can be hard to do. Uh, sometimes it's a bittersweet experience because um, these are people that, that we love, these are people that we've worked with, people that uh, many times they're our friends and they're our family. Uh, and so to let them go and to send them out to somewhere else can be, can be pretty difficult. But it is the church's responsibility to do that. And ultimately, it is a responsibility that the church cannot delegate to anyone else. But as a church, we are the ones who do the sending. In Acts chapter 13, I want to read these verses again. We saw them last week and... Uh, and then today we'll look at these again, but focusing on really verses um, 3 and 4 in the church's role of sending the missionaries. So Acts chapter 13, and look with me at verse number 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, say that last phrase with me from verse 3, they sent them away. Verse 4, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. In our modern era, it's very common for missionaries to use mission boards in order to help them get to their field of service. I believe that mission boards done right are an application of a biblical pattern where churches work together to fund and to support Christian workers who are going out and planting new churches and spreading the gospel in different places. 
And when used properly, they can be a great blessing. Mission boards can help collecting and distributing funds for missionaries. They can provide much-needed advice, practical assistance, and different things. But it is possible for mission boards to be misused. And one of the primary ways a board can go wrong is when a board outside of the local church becomes the sending agency in place of the local church. And so in some denominations, you have an organization that's set up for the denomination and you have people staffing this organization from multiple churches or uh, different backgrounds. And if someone wants to be a missionary through that denomination, well, they have to go to this particular board. And the board does the vetting and the board does the interviews and the board determines is this person qualified or not? Is this, uh, is this somebody that should be going out? And the board is the one who makes the decision, okay, we're going to send them. Now, I'm not judging motives, but I am saying this. That's not a biblical pattern. The church has been given the responsibility to do the sending, and that's a responsibility that cannot and should not be delegated to an organization outside the church that we would call a parachurch organization. God has chosen to use the local church in this age to be the organization that distributes the gospel around the world. Souls are evangelized, edified, and equipped for service through the ministry of the local church. And it's the local church's privilege to confirm God's call on a person's life and to send them out from their assembly to accomplish God's specific will for their life in another place. As a church, we, we do not mind partnering with things like missions boards and, and, and organizations like that, but we understand that we cannot delegate our responsibility to those parachurch organizations. We must supply the missionaries, and then we must send the missionaries. It is our duty as a New Testament church to be sending missionaries. We want to see today from Acts chapter 13 and other scriptures how this works out in practice and why it is God's will and why it is the best plan so that we might be encouraged to be faithful in our duty and encourage those in our congregation who might be feeling that the Lord has called them to a specific place to encourage them that we as a church stand behind them and we are more than willing to send and support them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word. This is an extremely practical topic we're talking about today. As we think about our, our really our delight in being able to send people to other places. May we have a biblical perspective on it today. And may we have a true burden to see the world evangelized with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to note some details from our passage here about how the church sends missionaries. And I want to start with this truth. Number one, the call to missions is first and foremost a personal call. It is a personal call. In verse number 2, it says as these different ministers were ministering together to the Lord in, uh, in this particular church in a city called Antioch, that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, in this passage, I 
is referring to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is speaking first person. He says, I have called them. That is Saul and Barnabas. But notice how he says, I have called them. Two individuals are being spoken of here. And the emphasis is on the fact that the Holy Spirit has personally called those individuals to a specific ministry. When God led the church at Antioch to send out Paul and Barnabas, the Holy Spirit made it clear that He, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, He was the one doing the calling. Understand this morning that the church does not call missionaries. Mothers and fathers do not call missionaries. Bible colleges do not call missionaries. Mission boards do not call missionaries. The Holy Spirit is the one who must do the calling. It is a personal call. God calls the missionary to serve Him in another place, and then God works in their life personally to guide them into that ministry. And I want to begin here because some may mistakenly feel like I'm trying to say that the church gets to choose who is and is not a missionary. Strictly speaking, we don't do that. God is the one who does the choosing. God calls the missionary and the church's role is to recognize God's choice and then to send that missionary out and to support them. And I believe Paul's story especially is an outstanding example of how God's call is indeed a personal call. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 26 for a moment. In Acts 26, we find Paul giving his testimony before Agrippa. Paul came to faith in Christ as a result of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You may remember that story. And when Paul was given his testimony before Agrippa, he revealed that it was at that same time that God called him to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. You might want to call that his call to missions or his call to ministry. But look in, in Acts 26, beginning in verse number 14. Again, he is recounting the Damascus Road experience. He says, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This was not only Paul's testimony of salvation and how he came to faith in Christ, but it's also his testimony of how God called him to the ministry of preaching the gospel to many people in many different places. Notice the personal language here that he uses as the Lord addresses the Lord Jesus Christ, calls him by name, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. Now, why did Jesus use the Hebrew tongue? Because that was Paul's native language. 
He spoke to him personally, calling him by name, speaking his language. And when, when Paul asked, or Saul as he was called at the time, uh, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon the feet, for I have appeared to thee for this purpose. And he went on to give him specific instructions of how he was going to go and be a light to the Gentiles to preach the gospel to them that they might be saved. And all of this was a personal interaction between God and Paul. Strictly speaking, an individual does not need anyone else's permission to do God's will for their life. Whatever God wants you to do, you are obligated to do it. You do not need man's permission. Uh, I've sat on several ordination councils and uh, as men are evaluated for their fitness for pastoral ministry. One question that is sometimes asked at ordination councils is, what would you do if this council did not vote to ordain you? It's an interesting question. It's always uh, something that uh, uh, usually most men are preparing for how they will answer that. But the best answer to that question might go something like this. Well, if that's how y'all felt, I would, I would really evaluate my life and my belief and, and under, try to understand why you didn't feel I was, I was fit. But at the end of the day, God has called me to the ministry. And whether or not man approves that call, the call still remains and I'm obligated to obey the Lord. Now, the truth is that things like ordination councils or the local church uh, uh, sending out a missionary is not... A, uh, um, it's not something that a person is obligated to get another person's stamp of approval on. But this should not lead anyone to take the, a very arrogant kind of lone ranger approach either because it's God's plan to work through the local church and the church has the privilege of being a part of God's plan by being the sending agency, by recognizing the call and sending people out. And so the, person, the call to ministry, the call to missions, is a personal call. It is something that God does in the life of an individual through the ministry of the local church, yes, but when it comes down to it, it's between you and the Lord. I do not have a right to stand before anybody and to say, God is calling you to go some, such and such a place. The only right that I have to tell you that God has told you to do something is if God says it in His Word. God says it in the Bible, then you're obligated to do it. But when it comes to God's specific will for your life, I don't get to tell you that. Nobody else can tell you that. They can give advice. We can guide you. We can counsel you. But the call ultimately comes down to you and God. Now, I believe with all my heart that the call to ministry is something that every Christian should consider, especially young Christians, children and teenagers, you should seriously consider, and adults alike, the direction that God wants you to go in. You should volunteer to do whatever God wants you to do. You should surrender and submit to God's will for your life. And that includes being willing to leave your home, your family, your state, your country even, to go across the world to another place you've never been before perhaps and preach the gospel if that's God's will for your life. Every Christian should volunteer to do that. I'm not saying that God calls every Christian. I'm not saying when you surrender your will to God that He's going to make you pack up tomorrow and go across the globe. But what I am saying is we ought to be willing to do whatever God's will is for us. Many Christians, however, are not. 
They're not surrendered to God's will for their life. They're too comfortable where they are. They enjoy their life. They've worked hard to uh, be where they are, to achieve what they've achieved. And they don't want to contemplate doing anything different. They have their own dreams. They have their own goals. They're too busy doing what they want to do to please themselves. And they're not willing to go where God wants them to go. I believe we need to get our eyes off of ourselves. We need to get our eyes off of our possessions, our desires, our goals, our dreams, and we need to take a closer look at God. We need to take a closer look at God. We need to see Him as the holy God who is a God of righteousness and judgment, but also a God of love and mercy and grace. And when we see God for who He is, the natural result will be surrender. Say, Lord, you are so great, you are so mighty, you are so awe-inspiring, I will do whatever you want me to do with my life. I will serve you no matter what that means. I think of Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah was given a glimpse of the throne room of heaven. He saw God high and lifted up. He heard the seraphim praising the Lord saying, Holy, holy, holy. And then he heard this from the throne of God. God asked, Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And when Isaiah saw God and heard the question, here is how he responded. He said, here am I, send me. It ought to be our desire to go wherever God wants us to go and do whatever God wants us to do. Now for many, that may just mean going across the street. But for some, it might mean going across the world. But we should be begging God to use us and to let us go instead of hoping God lets us stay. And for many Christians, that's what they really hope. What they really hope is that they don't have to go over there and they don't have to do that. They hope that they can just stay where they are and be comfortable and life can, life can be smooth without wrinkles and without bumps. And I say that's the wrong hope. We should not hope for a comfortable life. We should hope for a life that honors God by fulfilling His will, whatever that might mean. Now let me say this, that if God wants you to go to another place and preach the gospel there, to leave where you are and move to another location and serve Him in a different way, in a different place, be it another city, another state, another country, if that's what God wants you to do, you will never be happier anywhere else than going there and doing that. The devil would have us think that God's going to ruin our happiness if we surrender to Him. He'll have us think that if we go there and do that, it's just going to be miserable. You know, the classic example. If we surrender to be a missionary, we're going to have to go live in a mud hut and eat bugs. Right? Well, you know what? If that's God's will for you to go live in a mud hut and eat bugs, you'll never be happier anywhere else. You could live in a mansion and eat filet mignon every night, and you will never be happier than you would have been if you'd have surrendered to God's will and gone where He wanted you to go. For some, though, God wants them to go to those foreign locations. For those few that, that is, God has called them to do that, I believe that is a special calling. But it's not one that should be used for, in pride or arrogancy because for God to use any of us in any way should humble us. The call to a specific ministry should never be a source of fleshly pride. Peter warned about that. In 1 Peter 5, he warned pastors, don't be lords over God's heritage. Don't exalt yourself as if you were someone special because of what God called you to do. 
Jesus had put an end to that whole notion that the ministry equivalent of climbing the corporate ladder. Listen, that exists. (laughs) There are a lot of people that are in ministry today because they just want to climb that ladder. They start out in this ministry hoping that after a little time they can get a bigger ministry and they can get more name recognition and a bigger platform and more familiar, more popular. And ultimately, hopefully, they'll have become the pastor of a very large church making a very lucrative salary and everybody knows who they are. It exists in ministry, sadly. But Jesus put an end to that notion. In Matthew chapter 10, they were walking along one day and His his disciples were squabbling with one another. You know what they were arguing about? Who was going to be the greatest in heaven? Now Jesus knew what they were arguing about, but He turned and asked them, "What what are you arguing about? And He had a little conversation with them, correcting their wrong thinking. In Mark 10, He said this, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. The word minister means servant. Whoever will be the greatest will be your servant, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And then he gave the prime example of servant leadership. Not climbing as high as you can, but going as low as you can to serve as many as you can himself. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. That's what Jesus did. He came from heaven to earth to serve us. The call to ministry is not something to brag about. It's not something that ought to make someone prideful or arrogant. It is a humbling thing to realize that God has called you to so great a task. Paul considered the call to ministry to be a great privilege and humbly recognized that God should get all the credit for it. He said in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that He counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. He said in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me. Not because of his qualifications or his great skill. It was a gift by God's grace for him to be put into the ministry. By the effectual working of his power, he said unto me who am the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul didn't say, look how great I am, look at my awesome ministry, look at all the churches I've started, you need to listen to me because I'm the expert, I've figured it out, I'm, I've got it all down. No, that wasn't his attitude. He said, I'm less than the least of all saints, but God has given me the great privilege of serving in the ministry. And every one of you who are saved have been given a ministry by God. Every Christian is a minister. There are some who are full-time ministers. But every Christian, whether it's full-time or not, is a minister, and we must not let that become a source of pride. We are just earthen vessels, dirt jars that are filled with the grace of God that He wants to use us to carry that grace around the world. So the call to missions is first and foremost a personal call. But now I want you to see with me the public recognition. In Acts chapter 13, Verse number 3, the Holy Spirit spake in a unique way, spoke in a unique way to these leaders in this church, letting them know to separate Barnabas and Saul for the work that he, the Holy Spirit, had called them personally to. And so in verse number 3, when they, that is the members and ministers of this church, had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. 
When God calls someone to a ministry, the pattern of the New Testament is that the call was recognized by God's people in the local church. Definitely was the case here with Paul and Barnabas. Now, they had already been busy serving the Lord in in various ways. But now this local church publicly recognized the call of God on their life and expressed that public recognition with the laying on of hands. This was what we call an ordination service. This was the church officially putting their stamp of approval on them and recognizing God's call. The church was instructed to separate Paul and Barnabas. And that's what it means to ordain someone. It means simply to set them apart for a specific job. They were set apart for the specific job of traveling from city to city, preaching the gospel and planting churches. Notice how that occurred, how that setting apart occurred. It was through the fasting and prayer and then the laying on of hands. You know, before a church ever publicly recognizes someone's call to ministry, they must be sure of it as a church. And as far as they're able to tell, confirm that it is God's will for that person's life. Paul warned in 1 Timothy 5.22, lay hands suddenly on no man. Some people might think he's talking about, you know, getting in fights. No, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about ordaining men to the ministry. He said, don't do that suddenly. Take your time. Evaluate. Make sure that you are looking carefully. Do they meet the qualifications? Is the call of God on their life evident? Can you see enough to confirm that that as best as you can tell, it is indeed God's will for them? There are many things that must be considered before someone is sent out as a missionary. Think about it. They're going out as an official representative of a church and the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want to just send anybody and everybody out there regardless of whether they're qualified. You want someone who has spiritual maturity. They have to have a doctrinal understanding. That must be considered. In uh, both 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, one of the qualifications of a church leader is that they be sound in their doctrine, that they be apt to teach. They must have been taught and able to pass on what they've learned. So there has to be that consideration. There has to be the consideration of their testimony. Again, 1 Timothy 3, they have to be of good report of them that are without. Does this person have a godly testimony in the community so that they don't shame the name of Christ? I wish it were true that when missionaries went to the field, it was a guarantee that they would never, never shame the name of Christ. But listen, I could recount story after story that I personally know of missionaries that went to a foreign place and, and, and they ruined their testimony. Some of them end up in prison doing horrible things. Now, I don't know their backstory. I can't say whether there were signs of that before they left, but all I can say is this, that as a church, you need to consider that person's testimony. Are they walking with God consistently? There are times where people respond, say in a missions conference, with great zeal. They want to serve the Lord. They come forward. They surrender to go to you know, Zimbabwe and preach the gospel there. And the church gets excited. Oh, this is wonderful. And they just set the ball in motion. And it's just, all right, let's go and get them on their field. And there's never time taken to examine and consider, is this person spiritually qualified to be doing this yet? It may be that that's what God wants them to do down the road, but they're not ready yet. They need some more discipling. They need some more training. Now, the thing about Paul and Barnabas is we we know from the Scripture they were not rookies. They had already been actively serving the Lord for some time. The church knew them. They knew their doctrine. They knew their personal life. They knew their ability to minister. 
It had already been proven that they were ready to serve the Lord in other places because they were already serving the Lord where they were. And that's the principle. If a person is not serving God where they are, why would we expect them to serve God over there? If a person doesn't have a burden for souls here at home, how can we expect them to have a burden for souls over there? If they're wishy-washy on the truth here, how can we expect them to stand firm over there in the face of so much opposition? So there must be a, 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 an examination of, the, of this person's life to see, are they qualified? Is this calling legitimate? And if that is the case, then comes the confirmation by the church and that public recognition. It was accompanied by prayer and fasting. This was a very spiritual time. And then there was the ordination in which they were set aside for the work that God called them to. This laying on of hands was very symbolic of putting the church's stamp of approval on them in their ministry. And that is a gift Paul refers to in 1 Timothy 4.14 when he says, Neglect not the gift which is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying hand on of the hands of the presbytery. God's call is a personal call, and the church should give public recognition of that. But notice number three, the parting of the ways. In verse number four, it says, They sent them away, the end of verse three, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. The personal call, the public recognition, and then a very important part, the parting of the ways. For those that God wants to serve on the mission field, that means they must leave. They must go. So verse 3 says that they sent them away. They here being the local church sent them, Paul and Barnabas, the missionaries, away. It's important at this point to understand that these two men were not sent by a denomination. They were not sent by a mission board. They were sent by a church, a local church. There are no denominations in the New Testament. There are no mission boards even in the New Testament. There weren't even Bible colleges as we know them today. You know what the New Testament is, the feature of the New Testament is? Local churches. When Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 had messages for believers in specific areas, he wrote to the church. Seven different local churches. Paul wrote to many local churches, like the church at Corinth and the church in Galatia and so on and so forth. Local churches are the feature of the New Testament. Independent local churches working together to fulfill the Great Commission to send and support missionaries. One of the most important roles that we as a local church can play in getting the gospel around the world is to send missionaries. And for the missionaries, one of the most important roles we play personally for them is to provide the support that we'll see next week, but also the accountability to them. And here's why the local church are, is so important in this process. It's because the missionaries are to be held accountable to the local church that sends them. They should still be under that umbrella, if you will, of that local church. And we see that Paul and Barnabas understood this and submitted themselves to that. Look to, to Acts chapter 14 with me. Acts chapter 14. 
If a church puts their stamp of approval on a missionary and sends them out, that missionary has a responsibility to stay connected to that church and the church has a responsibility to ensure that the missionary does what God has called them to do. Now, there's a mutual understanding here that they're going out representing Christ underneath and through the ministry of that local church. Now, Paul and Barnabas took this seriously. And after they had gone around for some time preaching the gospel, planting churches, encouraging believers, they came back to report to the church what God had done. Notice Acts chapter 14, verse 26. And thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. So we're coming back at the end of this missionary journey. They come back to Antioch. Now there were several cities named Antioch. Which one was it? Well, according to this verse, it was the one that had sent them out. The one from where they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. It was their sending church. They came back to their sending church. And what did they do in verse 27? And when they were come, they gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them. And how that He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. This is what they did. They came back and they gave a missionary update. They came back on furlough and said, Let me tell you what God did in this last term on the field. And they not only were they just telling them what they had done, it says they abode there a long time. They submitted themselves back to that local church ministry and got plugged right back in. Now, in this particular case, they went out on multiple occasions into different places preaching the gospel, but it's a very clear pattern here that the Lord is establishing for us that the missionaries do not go out and just become their own thing. They don't get to go out and be Lone Ranger. They don't get to go out and, uh, and become in solo missionaries, they are still supposed to be plugged in and held accountable to the local church. So the church sent them away, but did not lose contact with them. I speak to a lot of missionaries, and one of the things that sometimes missionaries talk about is, is the fact that churches don't always really communicate very well with them. I think we have a burden and a responsibility, a duty, to keep up with our missionaries, specifically the ones we send out, but all the missionaries that we support. But I want you to notice also here the cooperation between the Holy Spirit and the local church from verses 3 and 4. It says that in verse 3, they, the local church, sent them away, but then in verse 4, they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. So who sent them? The church or the Holy Spirit? Yes, it was both. The Holy Spirit, working through the ministry of the local church, sent them out. The church plays a significant role in sending the missionaries. But ultimately, the, it is God that calls, and it is God that sends, and it will be God that supports as well. The church has a role to play, and our role is not only to supply but to send the missionaries. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I mentioned many times how our church had a very strong missions program. And 
As a young person, we were often encouraged to consider missions and to consider the ministry as a possibility that God might be calling us to do that. Now, I don't know how it was in other churches. I don't know how much emphasis was placed on considering the call to ministry. But I do know that over the years, that the number of people stepping forward has declined. And the number of people coming off the field because of sometimes health, sometimes age, sometimes not good reasons, has continued to increase. And so the net result is that there are not more missionaries today than there were 20 years ago. By some counts, there are fewer. Now, while that has been going on, the world's population has continued to grow. The number of people who are lost and dying and going to hell has continued to grow. We do not need fewer missionaries today. We need more people that are willing to step up and say, if God wants me to go, I'll go. Now, not everyone who volunteers will God say, okay, you're going here and send them across the world. But every Christian, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter how long you've been saved, you should be willing to go wherever God wants you to go and do whatever God wants you to do. Our role in missions is vital. As a local church, then, we must continue to do our part in world evangelism by supplying and sending the missionaries while being willing to go ourselves if God should call us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus Christ left where he was to come where we are so that we could be saved. He is the greatest missionary because no one has ever left so much in exchange for so little for the sake of the lost. And Lord, I know that not everyone in here today is supposed to leave and go to a foreign country to be a missionary. Many, most, have been called to be missionaries right here. But Lord, I also believe that there are those, even in our midst today, that you do want to serve in full-time vocational ministry at home or across the world. And you are working in their life But they have to surrender. Lord, if that's someone here today, I pray that right now they would make that choice to surrender their will to yours. To say, Lord, I believe that's what you want me to do. And by your grace, I will do it. And for every Christian here today, I pray that we would be challenged about our own personal surrender to you, to be willing at every stage of life to do whatever, wherever you want us to do it. And I pray it in Jesus' name.